Everything we have, everything we've been given is from him. And he's given us his son. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights with whom is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything we have here and now is from him. And he's giving us something better, something greater. And yet our eyes get distracted by the here and now temporary things. This life is hard. Many of you reminded every day of how hard it is. And God bringing in the hard things to remind us it's not this life that we're living for. It's the one to come. And there are so many people still trapped in darkness, still dying, still lost in their sins, who need to see people who found the way and whom the way has found, who have Jesus that can give it to them. Overcome with the task of the Holy One who has made us holy and called us to be holy and carry this message. And thank goodness for his mercy, right, church? That's on us every single day. Let's pray. at the right time he died you've given us your son your only son you have given to your enemies (laughs) once we were not a people but now we are God's people Once we had not received mercy, but now that we have, well up within us, God, a heart of praise and thanksgiving. Be with your people this morning. Be with those who are hurting. Be with those who have forgotten just how marvelous it is to be in your light, pulled out of darkness. Remind us again your song. Open our eyes and our hearts this morning to see greater things in your word. The things that are far greater than the things we see every single day in the world. Be with your people, we pray, in this moment. Amen. Maybe seated. Kids, enjoy. Church, families, any new parents. Wanting to learn more about our kids' ministry, uh, right over here in the Learning Center will be that time for our foundations time. And uh, everyone else, take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Does identity matter? Does knowing who you are matter? 
when the waves of life crash over you and the reality of life forces you to no longer be distracted by the many things that distract us from the realities of life. In that moment, identity matters. Who are you? Who has God made us? Peter writes again, as we've said these last few weeks, to a group of Christians to remind them who God has made them. And not only who they are in Christ, but what they have because they are part of the family of God. Up to this point, as we're jumping into chapter 2, we're going to be working into chapter 2, it has been this focus on the genuine salvation that belonged to the people that Peter was writing to. And he's going to continue this idea of thinking about a genuine salvation and what it produces in his people. And I know and we know that he's talking about the genuineness of salvation because he he begins in the first part talking about the genuineness of salvation that is tested by the trials for the purpose of resulting in a praiseworthy and honor and glory, glorious faith. And if you would look at me at our very last verse of today, we will see that he's still in this theme of thinking about genuine Christians Chapter 2, last verse that we're going to see, verse 3. Notice this. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter's still writing to his brothers and sisters, but also challenging them and encouraging him that these things are true in your life and can be done in your life and should flow out of your life. Verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah? John says that the one who confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of the Spirit of God. Have you tasted and seen, according to Psalm 34, that the Lord is good? Do you find yourself in the moments of life when the trials are testing you, the natural thing is, is to run to God and all of your brokenness, it wells up within you to run to the God of the Bible, to the God of the universe, to the real God, whose son is Jesus Christ, who is God himself, our great God and savior. Genuine believers. Last week, we talked about an appropriate response to such a great salvation and, and, and how it should produce holiness and hope and fear during our time on earth. He's going to kind of continue this theme, but he's going to culminate this produce of salvation within a Christian into the greatest fruit that should be emanating out of our life. Genuine salvation produces some genuine affections. And here's what we're going to see today. Genuine salvation produces, produces genuine affections for two things. You're going to see it on the screen. For God's people and for God's word. If God has saved you, if Jesus Christ is in you, if the spirit of God is in you, then these affections should be bubbling out of you. Not perfectly. We're growing in them. But there should be a love for one another But there also should be a a love, an affection, as we're going to see this word, longing for the word of God in your life. So let's look at it today. I'm going to read the scripture and then we'll talk about it. Look at chapter one 
And we're going to start in verse 22. Chapter 1, verse 22, he says this, Peter, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This idea of taste, we all naturally are tasting the world through life, just living it, everyone is. And everyone on the, on the world would conclude that the taste of this life is that something's wrong with it. Something's broken. There's got to be more. Just look at the constant ever-climbing depression, sadness, stress, and anxiety. That is fruit flowing out of the heart that's getting all of their taste and food in the world. Yes, those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, still those things are in them, but there is an everlasting fruit that deals with those things in the most hopeful of ways. Because God's people have tasted and seen something better than what they've been tasting and seeing in the world. And if we have tasted that the Lord is good, if the Holy Spirit is in us, if the salvation that we sing to has reached us through faith alone in Jesus Christ, our affections should be changing. And not only changing, but growing. And the first thing is this. There should be an affection and a deep love for God's people, for those who are genuinely saved. He says this, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Comma, love one another. Love is there two times, right next to each other, separated by a comma, and Peter uses two different words for love. So let's talk about this love. What is this love for God's people that we are supposed to have? Three different types of love that I see in this passage. The first one is this, it is brotherly love. He, he says that you were your souls were purified by your obedience to the truth, and we'll get to that, for a sincere brotherly love. That's the word Philadelphia in the Greek. And it's the idea of brotherly love. It's the idea of family. You've been made family, so the way you love and interact with each, one, each other is, is the way you do with family, brothers and sisters, moms, dads, siblings. Brotherly kindness. There's, a, there's an actual affection there that would be like so for brother and sister. And even in the church, we call each other brother and sister. Very appropriate. Love, Philadelphia, comma, then the command comes in. This is an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. The scripture, Peter, 
God himself through Peter uses an exhortation to command us what we should be doing. He goes, for a sincere family, brotherly love, comma, so love one another. And he uses the word agape. This is now the word love that the world is unable to know. And the world is unable to muster up in their own strength. This is God's love that the scripture says has been poured out in your hearts. It's the love that those who are his, who have genuine salvation, have experienced from God. And it far exceeds our own. Agape, the idea of a willful seeking of the good of someone else. Sacrificial love. And God demonstrates this perfectly in Romans chapter 5. When it says, but God demonstrates his love. Right? You see, the, you see, it's almost like comparing God's love is different than the love of man. And in Romans 5, Paul sets it up beautifully by saying, people, we, we would probably die for a good person. We're going to lay down our life for someone willing to give up all of our years and our body, our flesh, and literally cut the lights out in our body, probably be willing to do that for a righteous person, a really good, but then a a normal person, uh, definitely not for our enemy, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, enemies, haters of God, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. This is agape love. It's the type of love that has no regard for self and only cares about the benefit of the other. (laughs) For a sincere brotherly love, comma, love one another this way. But I would I would want to show you that the passage doesn't stop with love here. If you if you just read it it sounds like this is the kind of the last thing he says about love. Then he moves on to his word. I want, to, I want you to look at verse, chapter 2, verse 1, where now love is also going to involve not just brotherly love, not just a sacrificial type that reflects God's love towards us, but it must involve a putting away as well. So he uses this other Greek word, apatithemi, which means to lay aside and to put away. And as we work through the passage, we're going to see there are things that must be put away, be done with it. Genuine love in our life for God's people involves the positive and the negative. So what's salvation, though, got to do with love? You're saying genuine salvation produces this in my life, a love for God's people. The question is how, why, what, when, all of those question marks arise when I start thinking about salvation kind of being the thing that has now led me to be able to do these things. So let's, let's just like dissect the passage with me. Here we go. In terms of salvation, in terms of your soul being made alive from being dead, in terms of God working in you to give you eternal life and make you a new creature, we see that love is enabled by salvation. Love for God's people has been enabled, meaning that you couldn't love this way before. Salvation has made this possible. Look what he says here, by your obedience. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. What in the world does this mean? Wait, 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 wait. 
He's giving them the credit for purifying their souls. Doesn't God get the credit? Absolutely. So, so what's he saying? Well, he's saying that something that they have done has led to the purification of their soul. John tells us that the one who hopes in God has purified their soul. And we're told here that having a pure soul, you're able now to hope in God and to love. Having purified your souls by what? How, how did the purification of your soul, the cleansing, which would be the removal of the things that's impeding and keeping you from being able to be God's people, live like God's people, and love God's people, how did obedience to something cause that? Well, if you, if you, if you get triggered by the word obedience and you think legalism, you think the law, you're right in that because salvation does not come through good works. Salvation comes by faith in Jesus alone. Look what he says. Having purified your souls, right? Again, this is assuming they're genuine by your obedience to what? What does it say there? By your obedience to the what? I want to hear more say it. Truth. Jesus, when he was on earth, people came to him and said, uh, uh, what are the works of heaven that we must be doing? Right? So they were asking about works. What are the things that I can, I can accomplish myself? And he trickily, he, he takes their question and he puts it in a crafty way and he answers it. And he says, here's the work that God is saying that you must be doing. Believe on the one whom he sent. Romans, Paul said that his whole goal was to bring people to the obedience of faith. The obedience to the truth is obeying the call of God to believe the true message of his son. The call is to repent and believe. Their obedience to the truth was their repentance, their repentance and their faith in the gospel. Because of their belief and faith, their souls were purified So they were enabled to love because they've been saved. The Spirit quickened them, and now salvation has enabled them to be able to love this way. But not only enabled, salvation is also intended this way. Love for God's people is intended by salvation. It's part of the plan. Look where this other word comes in. He says, by your salvation, but also this, for. There's an intention here. You've been saved for a purpose. There's a goal here. For a sincere brotherly love. God's goal in saving you is not just to remove you out of his wrath. It's so much more than that. He's trying to produce in you and get out of you and give you this type of love that he's given you. That you would give to one another. Your salvation is supposed to bring about this type of love. God's love for God's people is intended by salvation for a sincere brotherly love. You see that? By obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. And then the command comes. So, love one another. And he uses the word that they would understand, that we understand now, agape love. But it doesn't just end there. A genuine salvation produces love for God's people, enabled, intended but also this, motivated by your salvation. You're, because God saved you, because of what God's done for you, there, there's some, it, it's like you should want to do this. There's a motivation. Look here. He says this, since you have been born again. Do you see the flow of what Peter's saying? Like, look, like, 
by, yes, for, yes, and because of, yes, since you have been born again. What? You love one another earnestly, motivated by the fact that you've been born again, enabled as part of the purpose, and now you have a great fuel, the very salvation and the things that you rejoice in. And the love that God's given you, it it, it should be bubbling out of you. I want to give this to others. I want others to experience what I've experienced from God. Let me give it to you because of the salvation that God's given to me. Since you have been born again, love one another earnestly. Maybe your scripture, maybe your Bible says fervently or mine says earnestly. Either way, the goal is to help you understand the the way in which we are supposed to love. Brotherly love, God's type of agape love, but it should be earnestly, fervently. It's this idea of a muscle that's being stretched to its maximum capacity. Understand that? So, 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 so now Peter's using language that now reaches to us that's to try to get us to think about how we love one another. So now I'm bringing it home. We're, we're, just, we're studying, we're learning. Now let's bring it home here to Summit Church. Do you love one another? Do you look around and you see affection? There's a genuine affection in your heart for one another. Brotherly love, kindness. Like this is family, it's my family, it's my people. In Psalm 16, David, when he's hurting, he appeals to God, your holy people in the land, these are the people in whom is my delight. And then he immediately says, I want nothing to do with the wicked people who pour out their libations of blood to idols. Before God, David recognizing the people whom I delight in and love are your people, which means I'm a part of those people. Who do you love? Is it God's people? Or, or, or do you find within your heart almost like I would rather be around my worldly friends? Like coming here and being around brothers and sisters is kind of cringy and awkward. And I have to just force myself to do it because I kind of know it's right. But I still would rather be around these people. Salvation should be producing in you this affection for God's people. Not, not only it should be producing, it's commanded. Let me read you some scripture. John chapter 13, Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. He's left us the example. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Romans 13, 8 says, owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. First Peter 4, 8, the same book we're in, he's going to reiterate this. Peter says this, above all, of most importance, above all, keep on loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. I'm not going to turn to it now, but I would challenge you, go read 1 John 3 and 4. You want this expounded on? You want to hear the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? John himself later in life talking to brothers and sisters in Christ in his old age. He writes John, 1 John 3 and 4. That whole, those two chapters surrounded with this idea of love and how absolutely necessary it is for God's people. How absolutely necessary it is to be a fruit that must be present in your life for you to have the confidence that you belong to God. 
You see, Peter, Peter's interesting. Peter writes to people whom he knows, who've already tested, tried, and true. He has seen them pass the test of trials, and he's seen their love for one another. So it's like Peter writes to, to I, I don't want you to doubt that you're God's people because you're, you're showing the example of it through your endurance of trials and your love for one another and your love for God's word. You go read 1 John, though, it doesn't sound as happy. It sounds more confrontational. That's because the people in 1 John were struggling with giving themselves back to idols and were going back into the world and starting to love the world. And so John doesn't write to give them confidence. He writes to say you shouldn't have confidence unless you see this in your life. So where does it apply to you today? Are you someone here maybe who's being, who's being beaten up by the enemy? You need encouragement and reminder like, no, keep going. Keep loving. Don't doubt your salvation. Or is there someone here this morning, God's working on your heart because you've, it's like, I, I know I'm fake. I know I've just kind of done this. I know it's the right answer, but when I think about the affections, the genuine desires and longings of my heart, they don't match up with what should be produced in my life through the implanted seed of the word of God, which brings us to the next point. The affections of the saved are a love for God's people, but also this, a genuine love, or more specifically, a genuine longing for the word of God, God's word. So 1 Peter chapter one, let me reread verse 23. Since you have been born again, and then he brings in this idea of seed, not of perishable seed. So she begin the idea of a, a seed that's planted into the ground that grows, not of perishable, the physical kind that it grows and then it dies eventually. You were not born again because of that type of seed, but of the imperishable kind, which makes you hearken back to the beginning of chapter one, where he says you have an inheritance in heaven that's imperishable, unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. You have this seed through what? The living and abiding word of God. A a seed that has been planted in your soul, in your heart, in your mind. And that seed is the living, sharpening of a two-edged sword that's always alive and active, able to cut through the hardness of someone's heart and bring conviction and light and truth into the inner being of the person. And that word that is abiding within you if it's there, will grow and it's imperishable, never fade, never fall, never wither, which is why verse 24, Isaiah is quoted here by Peter, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Salvation came into your life because God's word reached your ears. You heard and believed. Salvation comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The very word of God, the logos that created everything, the the very logos that Jesus has said to be in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. God's word's not just an amalgamation of letters that happen to make words we can understand, but the very understanding of his words that create life has been planted in you. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And this is an imperishable seed. 
And the point is, if it's in you, it grows. God cultivates it. Your salvation is growing. You haven't reached it yet, but it's there. And a part of that, if it's in you, the fruit that comes off the trees as it's planting, the type of fruit that Jesus is seeing that he, that he didn't see in others and he causes the tree to wither because it, wouldn't, it would not produce any fruit despite the promptings and making everything around them and their circumstances able for them to grow, yet it refused to suck up the nourishing life of Jesus into their life and failed to produce the fruit that God is looking for. One of the main awesome fruits that he's looking for is love for him. An affection, not just a fake, not just you just say it. It's not belief. It's not you believe in him. You love him. Your desires, your, your affections are for him. You long for him. And the second commandment is like it. You love one another. Repeated throughout scripture, the goal is to love one another. People in the world see that you belong to Jesus if you have a love for one another. Is the love there? Church, I see it among you. I feel it from you. Hopefully you're feeling it from one another. It means something very special if you have an affection for God's people. It's pointing to a genuine salvation in your heart. And this word that was planted in you is the good news that was preached to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That he died on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead, and that he lives forever to intercede for you. You believe this you follow it, you've trusted it. It's the good news that was preached and you believed and it has changed everything eternally. Now, chapter two. Let me show you this. Before I talk a little bit more about the word of God that we long for, let me show you the other half of love. The other half of love involves being putting away some certain things. Chapter two, so, see that word? It's like I've said everything Peter says. I've said everything before it. I've given you the groundwork. So, because you've been saved, because you're loving, because you're called to love, so put away these things. Put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy, all slander. These things, put them away. Lay them aside. The implication is these things are naturally in your life and the seed was planted in you to weed these things out. So put them away. And all of these words have to do with the opposite of the one word he said all the way back in verse 22. And it was this word, sincere. You've been saved for a sincere brotherly love. So chapter two, verse one hits all the things that chip away at sincerity and genuineness. Genuine love is our last pillar here at the church because it is the one thing along with scripture that should be the pouring out of fruit in our life that shows we genuinely are God's people is a genuine love for one another. Paul says, let love be genuine. And if it is genuine, there's a putting away of certain things. All malice, that word malice has the idea of any evil intent. The, the, the times in your heart where you know, you and God alone knows that the intentions of your heart are selfish and evil and against those around you. You may be able to hide it, fake it, couch it in something that looks sincere, but deep down there's something going on that has evil, selfish, against other motives. As you search your heart now, do you 
feel anything there. Is the spirit trying its best to get into your mind and show you an evil intention and, and, and your flesh is fighting against letting the light shine on that area of your heart. Let the spirit shine. Put away all malice, all deceit. It's the word for bait. It's the idea of, of not genuine. What you're putting forward is not for the purpose that it seems. All deceit. There's a craftiness and a trickiness that's similar to that of the snake in the garden who has ulterior motives all behind the way he treats or she treats other people. Put away all malice, evil intent. Put away all deceit, all the bait you throw out for your own ulterior motives. Put away all hypocrisy. Literally the word as an actor. It's the playing the part on a stage. Put away all of that that doesn't, it's not genuine. It's not sincere. Put it all away and this, and envy and all slander. Envy being you cannot stand that people have something that you do not have. You want what others have. And like Cain, Cain killed his brother because he could not stand to see his brother be approved by God. And why? Because his, his works were righteous and Cain's were evil, filled with envy. That fruit produced murder. The fruit was murder because in the heart there was envy. Put it all away and all Slander, which simply means speaking against another. Using your words to tear down, not to build behind someone's back when you talk about them. Speaking of them in a certain way that would not elevate them in the eyes of others, but tear them down. And we always have plenty of good reasons why we do that. Deceiving our own selves into slandering one another. Loving God's people involves putting those things away. They must be put away. The seed of the word of God is in you to produce that. Now, let's get back to the word of God. If the word of God is in you, and it is the one thing that has made the difference in your life, and if it is the thing that's going to continue to make the difference in your life and you being able to love like this, but let's take it to the whole context and the broader context of 1 Peter. If it's the thing in your life that's gonna enable you to be able to live through every trial of life in a way that honors and glorifies God, that it's going to allow you to be able to suffer for righteousness sake and not suffer as an evildoer. If it's the abiding word of God in your life that's going to make the difference, then there should, through that knowledge, produce an affection, a longing for the word of God. So then he brings in this identity again that he brought in earlier last week as being obedient children being holy as God is holy. He brings this idea of children back here in verse two, like newborn infants. Metaphor, I want you to be like a newborn infant. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation. This idea for long is the word for literally crave, desire greatly. And the picture we have is of a baby. I have a seven month year old, a seven month old son who craves milk. I mean, you can see it. He makes dad know it when mom's not around and dad can't help him out with that. He makes sure dad knows I'm craving this right now. Nothing you can do will satiate me until I get the pure milk. 
And so he says, take that picture of a baby who literally screams and cries and craves and scratches. Sometimes literally I get a scratch on my nose for milk. God's people should be craving the word of God because it's the difference maker in your eternity and it's the difference maker in your present. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for every area of life. By his divine power, we've been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me share with you the heart of the psalmist. Psalm 119, I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Job said this, very profound. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. And that's the idea. God is always equating his word to food, comparing it with physical food. Look at how much you need and long for food that makes you hungry again, that without it, you will die. I've given you that physical stomach example so that you'll know that this is what it's like when you do not have the spiritual abiding imperishable word being feasted on constantly. You will die. You will wither. Life will not seem right when it's lacking. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus himself prayed to God and he asked for his people to be sanctified in truth. Your word is truth. How is God going to accomplish all this in our life? He accomplished it through the living word of God that has reached you, that was preached to you and you believed. And it is the abiding word of God that will continue to grow you and turn you into the man or woman that God has predestined for you to be. Question, do you long for it? Knowing that our flesh is going to fight against those affections. But, but, but can you see within your soul there's a genuine love for God's people and God's word? And if it's hard to see, there's at least a panic in you. That says, I want to, I want to love your people more. I want to long for your word more. That is a good sign. It's the spirit crying out in you. It's the spirit that has been made alive in you. Though, according to Galatians 5, because you're still in the flesh, the spirit and flesh war against each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So it'll be imperfect, but perfectly experienced in our new bodies, yes? And that's coming, that day is coming. Look at this. The word is mentioned several times in this passage, and you'll see it come up right here on the right side of the screen. Look at all these words come up. Peter, this is how Peter refers to the word in just this passage alone. Truth as imperishable seed, living and abiding, the good news, pure spiritual milk, the word of the Lord which remains forever, and by it, the word, you may grow. Grow up into what? into salvation. You currently have salvation, but you're growing up. The experience of your life is this constant moving forward each day, getting one step closer to the day of meeting your salvation. And the expectation is not that you are already there. You'll never be there. But the expectation is every single day there's this growth so that when you meet it in God's perfect timing in your life, it'll be growing and meeting it there like they're coming together. And how do you grow into that salvation? By the word of God. This is, this is very important. Pay attention to your life. Your flesh will fight against two things. It'll, fight, it'll, it'll cause division between you and your brothers and sisters constantly. There'll be a constant fight to want to love one another genuinely. And there'll be a constant fight to want to love God's word. 
Jesus, who's ever ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of before the Father. This is the thing. It is living. It is him. Do you see in your life kind of a cringy, awkward, a shame of God and his words? And you're so inundated with the love of the world that you can't help but to feel naturally the affections and the hatred of the world in your own heart because those are your people. That your war, your soul is now at war by the passions that you've been surrounded by. That, that you yourself are even ashamed of this and so you find yourself spending all the time you can to make this uh, palatable and digestible to people who do not know God because you're ashamed of what it actually says. It's not a good sign. You fall on your knees and you beg God to work in your heart and bring you back to a place and restore your salvations to the proper imperishable seed, to the living and abiding word of God. Genuine salvation produces genuine affections. Are they there? Are they growing? Trust the Lord. Pray for those, long for those, because here's the final challenge and the final reminder. These things are true, and you will grow in these things if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That goes back to a psalmist who says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who have tasted and seen take refuge in God. Do you love God this way? Do you love his word this way? You know, I don't want to just leave you with that. The last thing I would want is to kind of go contrary to what Peter is doing. Peter's wanting them to feel confidence. He, he wants them to know that they're love. I believe the genuine Christian hears a message like this and they tend to be more hard on themselves they, they tend to think because they can see the areas of life where this is lacking, then they conclude, I don't have it. And then they put themselves in this box where it's like they can never be genuine and never be saved because they're always just so aware of how broken and imperfect they are that they haven't gotten there yet. That's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for perfection. Peter's not longing for perfection to say, I should see a perfect love and a perfect love for God's people and his word. It's no, is it at least there? Is that light shimmering at all? And, then, and, and if you feel in your heart a conviction that it's lacking in anywhere, does your heart feel that? Does your heart immediately start to cry and say, God, help me love your people more? And does your heart say, God, help me long for your word more? That is evidence of the spirit inside of you. You take all of these things to the Lord because here's what you're gonna see. He set this up beautifully. He's about to hammer who you are for the rest of the book and how awesome your identity is in him and what it means for the rest of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the salvation that you have given us through your son, Jesus. I pray that in this moment, as we begin to sing a song, as we begin to go out, you would, be, you would be the one in our heart that's changing our affections and growing our affections for your people and for your word. Without your people to carry your word, it would have never reached us. So God, we love you, we love your people, and we love your word. Grow that and keep that, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.